Episode 7, A Gentle Soul. The summer of 1948 was a blazing hot one. Our Aunt Elizabeth, number nine, not just a number, is born on July 7, 1948. Lo and behold, that very same day, our father is offered and accepts a teaching job at Mary Grove College, a prestigious all-women's college in Detroit, a definite perk. Mother said that every baby seemed to beget something good, a raise, a new pupil, a job, something good. On top of that, our mother's dream home, the Brady's house at 3811 Iroquois, comes true. So, in July, our family moves into mother's dream house with precious newborn Anne Elizabeth in tow. 3811 Iroquois was only five minutes from St. Catharines. There were literally 70 children up and down the street. Iroquois boasted many fun alleys for the kids to explore. The Massring family lived nearby and was a go-to place on Friday for cards with the parish priests. And the Massring boys are in our father's choir. Everyone said Mrs. Massring was so sweet, no one wanted to leave home. Oh, and our country reveled in the peacetime following the end of World War II. Our family follows the church calendar throughout the year with great devotion. It was imperative that our family observe all feast days, saints' days, high holy days, feasts of the Blessed Mother, plus the usual Advent, Christmas, Lent, Easter, and Pentecost celebrations. As a family, we would often pray the rosary and all of the litanies. There are nine children now, and things are busier than ever. Mother continues to treasure Lillian, her once-a-week helper. Mother was liberated from the smaller Lillibridge home and joyfully moved into her dream house. At the same time, back in our homeland, Ireland officially left the British Commonwealth and became a republic. The 1948 Act declared that the description of Ireland was to be the Republic of Ireland, and vested in the President of Ireland the power to exercise the executive authority of the state in its external relations. Finally, a break from the Brits. Of course, that brutal situation would remain volatile, but it was a start. Mother said Anne was always a bit frail, a beautiful, somewhat shy, will-o'-the-wisp little girl. Anne attended St. Catherine's Catholic School, and when we moved from Detroit to Birmingham, she attended Holy Name School, where she was an excellent student. From there, Anne went to the all-girl Marion High School, where she was the first of six Callahan daughters to graduate. She was popular, smart, and so much fun. I remember dancing in the kitchen to The Temptations, her leading the way was our mother and sisters joining in. Anne loved all music, especially Motown and Dionne Warwick and Roberta Flack. After high school, Anne followed in our sister Margaret's and Kathy's footsteps and graduated from Mary Grove College. With her sensitive sweet soul, 
she had a keen sense of what was just and equitable. Anne was fierce in her protestations of the Vietnam War. I remember feeling so honored taking a trip with her to Washington, D.C. to join in a major protest. To be part of a multitude of protesters was thrilling. To share it with my big sister and hero was a memory I will cherish forever. Anne received her undergraduate degree and master's degree in social work. As an empathetic, loving soul, it was the perfect profession for her. After graduation, Anne went to work with Catholic Social Services, where she worked with unwed mothers. Anne was completely committed to her clients, offering loving guidance and counseling. She had a huge impact, making an absolute difference in her clients' vulnerable lives. Being six years younger than Anne, I was completely obsessed with her. What a good and patient big sister she was. I would follow her around the house, and when in high school, when Anne was 16 and I was 10, I would adoringly watch her apply her makeup in the big bathroom on Manor Road. She was absolutely beautiful. She should have modeled, tall and thin, with a gorgeous face. Wow, those high cheekbones. If I had any problem, Anne was my go-to, so she was a natural choice to be my confirmation sponsor. When I became engaged, the first call I made was to Anne to ask her to be my maid of honor. She went completely silent and then burst into tears and told me that she would be unable to as she was pregnant. The irony of working with unwed mothers, and now she was to be on the other side of it. Catholic Social Services let her go. From the onset, Anne was ardent in her prenatal care. The first time Anne felt her baby's flutter was at my bridal shower. Anne decided to move in with our brother Brian and his wife Norma, who both offered steadfast love and support. Our big sister Margaret, number one, accompanied Anne to her Lamaze classes, preparing to be with Anne when she delivered the baby. When the time came, Margaret and Norma drove Anne to the hospital, and less than an hour after being admitted to St. John Hospital in Gross Point, Megan, weighing six pounds, three ounces, and 20 inches long, was born on August 14, 1977. Anne moved home with Megan and lived with our parents. Megan was a healthy, happy baby. Anne adored her and said she was the best, sweetest, most beautiful baby she ever saw. Anne fell in love, as did we all with this bonny baby. But oh, my, Anne was conflicted. She adored her baby, but she felt her daughter deserved a mother and a father. So... Heartbreakingly, four months after she was born, she put Megan up for adoption. I remember Anne said that the best thing for her baby was the worst thing for her. In case something would happen to Anne, she wrote a letter to Megan ending it with, I want you to know that I never regretted your birth. I wanted you to have your life and my prayer as that life has been kind to you, you are very good. 
Very beautiful. My only wish is that your life be happy. Anne struggled with jobs, housing, everything. It seemed that she just could not get a break. The 18 of us all had some trepidation and fear of the water, probably from those Lake Ontario days. But Anne was determined to learn how to swim. So, as an adult, she conquered that fear and became an excellent swimmer. One must never confuse gentleness with weakness. There's that St. Francis de Sales quote, Nothing is so gentle as real strength. That describes our sister Anne perfectly. In late August 1980, Anne started acting strangely. I thought maybe she was having a nervous breakdown. She told me that on Megan's fourth birthday, she just felt her body go. Anne was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. She wondered aloud if God was punishing her with a cancer diagnosis because she became pregnant out of wedlock. While our Catholic indoctrination is one of our family's greatest gifts, it did come with some serious baggage. Catholic guilt, the gift that keeps on taking. Of course, our parents and priest friends adamantly assured Anne that was not the case. Anne died on January 16, 1981. She was only 33 years old. There are no words sufficient to describe how our family's hearts were irrevocably broken. The first branch to fall so tragically from our family tree, and we would never, ever be the same. That fallen branch continues to reverberate under our feet and pulsate in our hearts. Each sibling's name, a heartbeat. This name, this Anne Elizabeth, never missing a beat in our hearts or under our feet. You could cut our grief with a knife, grappling with our own individual grief, each other's grief, and our parents' grief felt insurmountable. Our father always kept his feelings close to the vest. He was not demonstrative. However, I will never forget stopping at Warwick and staying for dinner. Out of what seemed to be nowhere, our father started wailing. We looked at each other, dumbfounded, speechless. Mother said, Jack, please. We said we would be strong for our children. Our parents never gave up trying to reunite with Anne's daughter, their granddaughter. They solicited help with a priest friend, someone who knew someone who knew someone. Mother had some of Anne's jewelry that she wanted to get to Megan. So she put one of their checking account deposit slips in the bottom of the jewelry box and brought it to Catholic Services, asking them to deliver it, which they did. Megan's father discovered the deposit slip with the names, address, and phone number of her birth grandparents. I must say that was very clever of our mother. Eventually, Megan miraculously came back into our lives. The cracks in our hearts, when she left, began to be filled. What utter joy to meet and see Megan's, now Michelle's, beautiful face, which is so like Anne's. 
Michelle, too, received her undergraduate and master's degree in social work. The apple sometimes doesn't fall far from the birth mother's tree. While Anne felt unable to be in my wedding, a generation later, her daughter was a bridesmaid in our niece Colleen's wedding. Full circle. Please listen to Megan, now Michelle, narrate a letter Anne wrote to our grandparents when Anne was about eight years old. November 11th, 1957. Dear Nana and Big Paul, I have written several other letters, but I did not have a chance to mail it. On my report card, I got three C's, two A's, and the rest B's. I was the third best one in my family. Say hello to Nana Callahan. Our new pastor is very nice and has light red hair. Don't mind my writing. Billy just filled my ink pen. We had a game yesterday and we lost. We played St. Mary's of Redford at the U of D Stadium. I have sold about 40 Christmas seals. Our pastor gave us a free day. Did you get the Halloween pictures my mother sent you? Wish the days would go faster so you will come sooner. Well, I have to go now. Love to all. Your granddaughter, Anne. P.S. Please write back. How adorable was our Anne Elizabeth. So adorable. Now, listen to Michelle narrate a letter her parents wrote to our parents. May 17, 1987. Dear Birth Family, this is a letter to inform you that we received a call from Catholic Social Services informing us that there were some letters, pictures, and information in our daughter's file that were sent by her birth family and they wanted to know if we would like them. This information sharing opened the door for me to write this letter to you. I have been informed by the agency that we can now write to one another, two letters each per year, and exchange pictures as well. This is very agreeable with my husband and myself, and we hope your family feels the same way. Our daughter's name is Michelle, and as you can see by the pictures we've enclosed, she's a very pretty young lady. Her hair is naturally curly, her eyes are green, she has freckles which she acquired at age four, and she is very tall for her age. She is somewhat shy with people at first, but when you are her friend, she'll do anything for you. She often will buy things for her brother, just because she has the extra money. Her brother is 12 years old, is in seventh grade, and is also adopted. Since we've known about your family's musical abilities, we've decided to try to instill this interest in her too. We've just bought Michelle a Casio keyboard, a four octave piano, with many chords, tone, and rhythm features. She loves playing it and she will be starting piano lessons so she can read music and play properly. When Michelle was three years old, we were informed of her birth mother's death. We wanted to express our sorrow at your loss. After reading the letter she wrote to Michelle, we feel she must have been a very special person and it is unfortunate that Michelle will not have the pleasure of knowing her. Since there are so many relatives, we're sure that they will be interested in knowing about Michelle and when she starts to ask questions about her birth family, we hope we will have a lot of information about them to pass on to her. Michelle has always known she was adopted and has accepted the fact in a very positive way, having told some of her friends already. We feel at this time, however, there shouldn't be direct contact between herself and her birth family until she is ready. It should be her choice if and when she wants to meet you. 
Our family hopes that you are all in good health and we trust this letter has given you a good idea of what Michelle is like. We hope to hear from you soon. Michelle's Adoptive Family Please listen to our sister Claire narrate the following letter our mother wrote to Michelle's parents on November 2, 1987. Dear parents of Michelle, this letter is overdue and not on stationery. Forgive me. Your letter was very consoling to us. The pictures are precious. She is forever in our prayers. We love the name Michelle. May the Archangel forever keep her in his constant surveillance. It is nice she has a brother to share her life with. Our 50th grandchild, Michelle included, was four months old last week. Number 51 is due December 27th. Our eldest grandchild graduates in June from University of Michigan Dental School and will be married that same month. Patrick, only child of ours not married, number 17, will be married in March. Grandpa and Grandma are busy with piano and organ students. Grandma has a rheumatoid arthritis, which cramps her style somewhat. We celebrated our golden anniversary in March. How is Michelle doing with her keyboard? And did she start an instrument? Her mother loved to play. Her mother was tall also and reserved in manner. And tennis was her favorite game. We will never recover from the loss. But to know part of her is here is wonderful consolation. Congratulations on your educational efforts. It wasn't easy, I am sure, but well worth it. We are having 45 here for Thanksgiving, two turkeys and all the trimmings. We have so much to be thankful for, especially Michelle and her parents. Affectionately, Grandma. Now, our sister Claire will narrate the letter Mother wrote to Michelle on July 29th, 2000. Dear Michelle, we have 60 grandchildren. We have contact with 59. Last week, we finally made the circle complete when we received the news of your name and whereabouts. Last year, I contacted the adoption agency I filled out more questionnaires. Then a lawyer was assigned, and I knew how to contact you. We would love to receive a letter telling us about yourself. I don't want to interfere in your life, dear. It is up to you. Hope you can read this awful handwriting. Love, Grandma C. Now... Please listen to our sister Claire, who will narrate the letter Mother wrote to Michelle on August 6, 2000. Michelle, Ma Belle, I can't begin to tell you how thrilled we were to receive your picture and letter. Your autobio was great, and we are so happy that you had a loving, fun life. We are sending you our family directory. 
Someone said maybe we shouldn't, because we don't want to scare you away. Also, I am going to tell you how to get us on the internet. Your grandpa has a fabulous garden. He goes to church every day, practices the organ every afternoon at Holy Name Church, where he used to be organist and choir master. He is hearing impaired, but fit otherwise. He will be 84 in October. I have all sorts of things wrong with me, but I am fighting the good fight. I will be 82 in August. How time flies when you are having fun. We will have to get together. Grandpa is a terrible driver, so visiting you is out. Maybe you and your mother could come visit us. In any case, it is wonderful knowing who and where you are. Most of the family lives in the metro area. One son, Christopher, lives in Tennessee with his wife and three children. Claire, our daughter, lives in Midland with three children and one grandson. Paul, our son, lives in Illinois. I'll write again soon. Congratulate your mother and father for me for doing a great job. Please forgive this messy letter. Oodles of love, Gramercy. P.S. How about a kiss once in a while from us? P.S.S. Keep up the good work. Enclosed something for the Christmas stocking. We'd love more pictures. After we were reunited with Megan Michelle, our number one sister Margaret wrote her the following note. Dear Michelle, Thank you. Thank you for spending so much time with us this weekend. Your pictures don't do you justice. You are so beautiful. You do look like Anne, but most of all, you are like her. A joy to find out. Hope we didn't wear you out. Love, Aunt Margaret. Now, please pay attention to my siblings and their memories of Anne. John, number two. Anne was such a sweet, quiet little girl, you know. I don't remember anything. I just remember all the, how much fun she would have at family things. And she was always there and always, you could see she was very observant. Paul, number three. She was probably the most decent human being I ever met. She had many wonderful attributes like kindness, gentleness, brightness that welded into a caring individual. She was always helpful when there was need. She excelled in school because of her ability to recognize what was going on. She never started trouble or caused mayhem that I know of. She helped up and down with her siblings as she was in the middle. I particularly remember her coming to Traverse City to try and help me when I was having so much trouble with Kate. That was a long trip at that time from Detroit. It was greatly appreciated. I also remember her ability to accept what happened in her life. It was a huge decision for her to give up her child for adoption, even though many at that time in our family would have accepted her daughter. She knew that it would be the best for the child, even though it pained her. She was beautiful inside and outside, as they say. I guess the best way to describe her is that she was a loving and caring person. 
I sometimes wonder why God took Brian, Patricia, and her so early, and even Margaret for that matter. He took the best of us, and I'm grateful that they are with him. James P., number four. My sister Anne. I think of Anne in conjunction almost always with uh, Patricia and Claire, and I see them as being faith, hope, and charity, actually. I am particularly indebted to Anne and Patricia and Claire for spending innumerable hours with my three children, at that time three children, and helping me to basically raise them. Anne is a remarkable person. She really and truly is, was, uh, had a keen sense of humor. And the tragic part of Anne is that she never seemed to get a, a break, in my opinion. It was difficult uh, for her in a lot of ways. I used to pick her up on occasion when she was working at the Universal Mall in Warren. She was the store manager for a woman's uh, garments uh, store. I don't remember the name of it right off the top of my head. But uh, she worked hours and hours and hours. Anybody who's done, done retail like that could tell you that that's the case. But I think of her involvement in the Catholic Social Services of Oakland County, where she used her training as a social worker to work with families who were in need of assistance. I even had the privilege of being asked by her on a couple of occasions to go with her to basically deliver babies, where uh, we would go to a home and pick up the baby, and I'd be driving, and Anne would be in the front seat with the baby and we would be going to places to drop the baby off. I know it was very dear to her heart, and she was doing superb human kindness. I also had um, the privilege of uh, helping her buy her first car, and that was a Dodge Dart, and it was olive green, and I can obviously remember it very clearly, and it was a big day when she got that vehicle. And... Uh, she was always kind uh, to my children and to me. She was just, just remarkable in giving and kindness. And uh, I feel badly that uh, her life was so short uh, because it was so meaningful. Kathy, number six. I called Catholic Social Services because I wanted to know if we could find out something to tell Anne since her baby had been adopted. And the social worker opened up right away when I said that Anne was at Beaumont and didn't have much time left and could they share anything with us to share with Anne. And that social worker was wonderful. She told me about that uh, Michelle had, uh, had went to a family that adopted um, another child and I knew that would make Anne happy because Anne wanted very much for Michelle to have um, a sibling or siblings and then Anne died. Anne had a close relationship with Vijay. Oh, she would come over to the house and she would bring these large coloring books and they would be down on their knees, the two of them, 
and coloring together. Vijay was so, he just read something in her special and then the reverse, she cared about him special. Edward, number seven. It's just very, very sad. Uh, Anna Banana, she mm-hmm. called her, you know, and to, uh, to die like she did it was really horrible. And it really was. But, you know, Anne, you know, we are usually tagged as either a Callahan or an O'Brien. She was an O'Brien. Bill, number eight. Anne, of course, she was only a year younger than me, such a sweet and lovely girl. And the one fond memory I have is her teaching me how to dance in the library at Vander Road. Now, listen to Michelle narrate a letter our sister Patricia, number 10, wrote after they were reunited. Dear Michelle, Just a short note to let you know how wonderful it was to meet you and to thank you for having the courage to meet our family. You have given all of us such a wonderful gift. Every time I have thought of you this week, I have gotten the most wonderful sense of joy from head to toe. Your parents have done a wonderful job of raising you. You are a beautiful, poised young woman. They must be very proud of you and love you deeply. Please thank them for me. I hope your visits weren't too overwhelming. We all worried that it might overwhelm you just because of the large numbers of people involved. I promise to write again soon, and I hope to come to Schoolcraft for a visit in the near future. As strange as it may sound, I don't even really know you, yet I love you very much. I suspect that all of my family feels this way. Say hi to Luke and keep shooting those hoops. Love, Aunt Patricia. Claire, number 11. Anna in... Patricia and I were a trio, and Anne was quiet, shy, thin, and more delicate. We loved listening to the Beach Boys, trying to get a tan. We babysat for the same family, the Wards. Kira Ward went to Marygrove with Margaret. We each spent one summer on Mullet Lake babysitting for them at a cottage they rented. The money from this would help pay our Marian tuition. Later on, as an adult, Bob and I helped Ann move to different apartments. One birthday, Ann didn't call or stop by my house in Royal Oak. This was unusual, and I was hurt. A few days later, she came by, sat at the dining room table, and cried. I asked her, what is wrong? As she tried to compose herself, I had a lump in my throat, thinking she was going to tell me she had cancer. But then she said, I am pregnant. Norma would light votive candles in front of the mother of Guadalupe and pray with Anne. So she decided unselfishly to place Megan for adoption. The following Christmas, I asked her how she was doing. And she said, I have a hole in my heart that will never go away. Three years later, Anne had a brain tumor, the cancer I had feared on my birthday. Her funeral was on my 30th birthday. Franny Brown comforted me after the funeral saying, today is your immortal birthday and it's Anne's eternal birthday. Ever since, I have celebrated her memory, her life in this way. Christopher, number 12. 
Well, Ian, you know, in terms of growing up, I have a lasting image of her in, at daily breakfast sitting with Patricia at the kitchen table there, each smoking a cigarette and drinking a Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she was quiet, shy. I do remember being a great listener because you could just tell she was taking it all in, mm -hmm. just that compassionate listen. Um, very pretty, smart. Very spiritual, mm -hmm. and also never fussing. I don't ever remember uh, Anne fussing. You know, mm -hmm. she just was quiet, and mm -hmm. and you know, I was living in Colorado when she was stricken with cancer and, and and dying. My last phone call with her, I remember, was just devastating. It was so emotional, and I I remain grateful to our sister-in-law Hillary, who was at her bedside at the time uh, Anne and I spoke, and. I remember weeping when Hillary, you know, took the phone and described Anne's reaction to oh. my call. Because, you know, you don't know what she really hears, if she's really able to take it in. But Hillary assured me she was listening and she was cognizant. So I was I was really heartened by that. And she died so young. I, I, I just regret that I did not know more about her, her challenges, some of them that she had, and that I, I did not do more for her. Kevin, number 13. I truly believe that faith-based guilt complexes had a lot to do with Anne's illness. I'm also very proud of Mom's efforts to bring Michelle, Anne's daughter, back into the fold. It was... Uh, it took a lot of effort, and I'm very proud of everybody uh, accepting her, especially uh, Brother Bill and his family. My daughter Maria, Maria Ann Callahan, named in memory of Ann Callahan. When Ann got sick, she ended up in St. Joe's Hospital in Pontiac. At that time, I was working in Pontiac for General Motors Truck and Coach. But one day, uh, my boss's 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 boss called me in and sat me down and he knew the situation and he basically said I could come and go as I wanted to you know, visit Ann, which I did. And uh, that was special and I, that was very rare for that to be allowed in those days. Mary, number 14. You are so missed, so missed, so missed. Not even time can take away the sting. Seems a moment ago, we were in the big bathroom, our faces reflected in the mirror, me enraptured with your beauty treatments, you so intent on your transformation, me intoxicated with your sweet white teeth smile, almond eyes, penciled eyebrows, all wrapped within that cover girl smell. You were, are, and forever will be so loved, so loved, so loved. I can still see on the Manor Road kitchen counter your purse bulging with cigarettes, dentine, and good and plenties. I smart whenever I smell your wind song. But I am so grateful that although too short, you were mine, you were mine, you were mine. Joseph. Number 15. Anne was particularly difficult. Obviously, she first. was the first of the siblings, you know, after Eleanor. But so that was difficult. And of course, at a young age, 
that she had difficult circumstances to contend with. And uh, and I remember as a kid, back to Manor Road, that because I was so, I, I didn't think, I was always in the moment rather than thinking about the past or the future. Mm-hmm. But one night it did dawn on me that, you know, here we are, maybe because of Eleanor, uh, that, you know, we're, we're, we're mortal and we're right. all gonna die. And it really hit me hard yeah. one night. And uh, I shared that with Ann and she was very comforting. Given the timing again, uh, going to Warwick and I was in, you know, finishing off my undergrad in law school. We went to law school and she died when I was in law school. Yeah. Um, so seeing her actually have to go through that process of dying was not, uh, it was brutal. Teresa, number 16. Just a beautiful, sweet sister, you know, she did her best and she was always available and loving, just, you know. You would never have an argument with Anne. And you would just, because she just, you know, that was not her style at all. She was always very sensitive, yeah, and caring and sweet. That's what I remember about my sister Anne. Bridget, number 18. I just always felt like she never got a break. She was always on the wrong side of things. It was Labor Day weekend, and the Franklin Cider Mill opened, and I picked her up, and we went, and she started staggering and kind of slurring her her language. And I remember we went to Warwick, and I felt she had to go to the bathroom, and I followed her into the bathroom. And I said, so what are you on? And she looked at me, and one eye went the other way. And she said, what are you talking about? I said, what? Are you on drugs? What are you doing? She goes, I'm not on drugs. So I called Patrick. He was at Albion. Of course, we're always trying to protect mom and dad um, for some reason. We always hit it. I was like, so what do I do? I call Patrick. And then he's like, you got to tell mom and dad. So I remember, I don't know which one I told him, but we got her to the doctor and she was diagnosed very soon after. And her moving her into the house, into Warwick, I remember a lot of prayer groups and people praying over her lot. Her sitting at the dining room table, I can still see her eating dinner. And then her going back to the hospital and us take each person taking different shifts Mm -hmm. to take care of her or be with her. And I just kind of knew, I just had a feeling it was going to be me from the beginning, but her um, lifting her arms into the sky, like reaching, I had never seen that before. And she was going on to God. She literally was. And then her putting her arms down and uh, holding my hand and squeezed it really hard and then left. I remember calling home. Again, no cell phones. And I think Dad couldn't have answered the phone. He never talked to him. I don't know who answered the phone saying Anne had passed. That was brutal. But again, it was a blessing for me. I got to spend so much time with her. But just her beautiful laugh. Her beautiful smile. Anne loved the phrase from Isaiah 43.1, I have called you by name, which is engraved upon her headstone. Eternal rest grant unto her, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon her. May the souls of the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. I have called you each by name. Our next episode, 
Number eight, there is nothing more artistic than to love. We will honor our sister Patricia Eileen. Number ten, not just a number. Don't forget to check out our website, One of Eighteen, Not Just a Number. There is a photo gallery to follow along while listening to our podcasts. That is, O N E of One Eight, Not Just a Number dot com.